the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you so very much for joining us as we get started at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 15th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Uh, we are loaded today. Uh, really weird, because uh, normally Wednesdays we don't slam back-to-back-to-back guests, but today that's what we have, and I think they're going to be very, very well worth our time. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to John Kersey. He is a communications expert, and he is a professor uh, at uh, Cuyahoga County uh, County Community College, and uh, he's going to talk to us about the propaganda and disinformation campaigns being waged by foreign countries in the United States, including Iran and including Russia, yes, still, and including the American media. What? Yeah, no, they, they, this is really happening. The American legacy media and the social media as well. So Professor Kersey is going to join us coming up at about 9.35. At 10.05, Lloyd Marcus, the unhyphenated American, is going to be joining us. We'll look forward uh, to discussing with him what white privilege means in small-town America. Lloyd Marcus is an African-American, uh, and he is a Tea Party, uh, one of the Tea Party uh, Tea Party's first supporters or founders, if you will. And um, he is continuing to sound his voice through his website and his organization. Uh, Lloyd Marcus, the unhyphenated American Tea Party movement uh, leader, is going to be joining us at 10.05 to talk about race in America and potentially what its role will play in the upcoming election. And then at uh, 10.35, we're going to the movies. And it's not really just for entertainment, but Todd Robinson's the writer and the director of a movie uh, about a Vietnam War hero that you may not be aware of. Um, and you should be, and this movie will make you. 
aware of. Uh, it's called The Last Full Measure. It is debuting. It is premiering, rather, coming up uh, in uh, uh, just a few days, and we're going to talk to the writer and director about that movie and why it is that so many heroes from the Vietnam War are overlooked. Uh, we know there have been a lot of awards that have come out. There have been a lot of uh, uh, medals of valor and so on and so forth and uh, other other decorations, but not nearly enough, and especially when it comes to one as brazen as this. This is an amazing story that I think you're going to want to hear uh, from uh, Todd Robinson in advance of that movie. So three great guests today, and if you want to be a part of it, to be a fourth guest or beyond, uh, you can dial 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers gets you right here to me. And if you would rather send a message to me, you can do so on Twitter, Facebook, Parlor at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. All one word, no spaces, and no underscores. Um, you had dueling events going on on television last night. And to be honest with you, they couldn't have been more, uh, couldn't have been more different. Uh, President Trump was uh, doing a rally in Wisconsin last night, and while he was doing his rally, his Keep America Great rally in Wisconsin, the Democrats were debating for the final time before the Iowa caucuses. And uh, my goodness, the energy, the enthusiasm, the passion, the the crowd at the Trump event, just like what we've seen in many others. You know, I, maybe I could say this, to be 100% honest. Uh, I was going to say one is very exciting and one is very boring, when I said the differences, but in truth, they're both a little boring insofar as the fact that President Trump gets these kinds of raucous crowds going crazy for him, cheering him like he's a rock star every time he holds one of these, including the one last week in Toledo. So it's it's boring just in that it's it's expected. It's very repetitive. Although I will say this, I'm sure for everybody in attendance, it is anything but boring because they want to cheer the accomplishments of the president. They want to cheer and support uh, a man who is uh, doing his level best to try to improve this country and has had enormous success in doing so in three-plus years despite unprecedented obstruction, unprecedented uh, amounts of harassment, presidential harassment, as he calls it, uh, and uh, all of the attempts to stop him from being able to do his job. So uh, the rally last night for President Trump in Wisconsin was pretty amazing. If you saw any of the highlights of that or if you watched any of that, you'll know. But on the other side was the Democratic debate on CNN. And you know things are not going well when even CNN and liberals and Democrat supporters describe uh, the event as boring. They describe the event as being flat-out boring. I want you to listen to what some of what Morning Joe had to say on MSNBC as they described uh, the Democrats who want to take the presidency from Donald Trump last it a, night. It was a dull debate. It was a plotting yeah. debate. By, 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 the way, debate. Hey, by the way, John, they, they, I mean, nobody looked good on that debate stage. <laughs> a dull debate, a plotting debate, and nobody looked good, says Joe Scarborough. On that debate stage, I think that's just pretty astounding, to be honest with you. And I also think it happens to be fantastic. <laughs> the fact that leftists are, are, are condemning and criticizing the candidates for not doing anything last night noteworthy, exciting, or, uh, you know, that would be, you know, worthy of trying to take the presidency from Donald Trump. That's pretty amazing. That was on MSNBC. How about on CNN, the network that actually hosted, the cable network that actually hosted the debate? CNN's Van Jones said this. 
Oh, come on, Van. Don't mess with me now. All right, Van's going to mess with me here. We're going to refresh the entire thing. Uh, we had it all queued up. Uh, but Van Jones on uh, CNN uh, last night described the debate this way. He said, nothing that I saw tonight would be able to take Donald Trump out. Uh, quote, as a progressive, to see those two, Warren and Sanders, have that level of vitriol was very dispiriting. And I want to say that tonight, for me, was dispiriting. Democrats got to do better than what we saw tonight. There was nothing I saw tonight that would be able to take Donald Trump out. And I want to see a Democrat in the White House as soon as possible. All right, so I didn't have Van's uh, audio for you, but that's what he said. And that's pretty amazing. That's a pretty uh, damning statement coming from you know a, a far-left progressive on CNN, who, of course, are pulling for Democrats, and none of them did anything. Very dispiriting. They've got to do better than that. Nothing I saw would be able to take out uh, Donald Trump. And uh, that, to me, is, of course, great news for the country because I think he's right. They were boring. But it's not just the boring nature of their debate. It's not just their personalities. It's also their policies. It's also the fact that that debate went by last night. Hugh Hewitt talked about this all morning. And he tweeted about it last night during the debate, live tweeted during the debate, how the CNN uh, uh, questioners, moderators, would not even ask them, would not even bring up when they talked about Iran and the decision to kill Soleimani, uh, about the missile attacks against American uh, forces. Uh, would not even talk about the fact that an American was killed prior to the Baghdad, uh, uh, Baghdad American embassy attack did not even bring up the fact that the Baghdad uh, uh, American embassy in Baghdad was attacked prior to the killing of Soleimani. Just focused on whether or not it was right to kill Soleimani based on future attacks that Trump could not pinpoint. I, you know, that the policies, the setup from CNN, that's what made this so incredibly bad, I think, for Democrats. Bernie Sanders was asked about his socialism. Let's let's speaking of policies and not just personalities, not just boring and dull and plodding and all the other things that liberal critics said about the Democrats on stage last night. Let's talk about actual substance. Let's talk about policy. Let's talk about Bernie Sanders being an avowed socialist and around the country. But I will be a president whose personal commitment is to continue doing this work. That's that's Buttigieg, by the way, in the lead up to the question. Senator Sanders, you call yourself a democratic socialist, but more than two-thirds of voters say they are not enthusiastic about voting for a socialist. Doesn't that put your chances of beating Donald Trump at risk? No, not at all. And that is because the campaign that we are going to run will expose the fraudulency of who Donald Trump is. Donald Trump is corrupt. He is a pathological liar. You notice how he just pivots away from socialism to attacking Donald Trump personally. Let's just go to personal insults when asked to defend his democratic socialism. And he is a fraud. Now, when Trump talks about socialism, what he talks about is giving hundreds of billions of dollars in tax breaks and subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. Donald Trump is a businessman received $800 million in tax breaks and subsidies to build luxury housing. My democratic socialism says health care is a human right. We're going to raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. We're going to make public... In other words, we are going to bankrupt business owners. We are going to bankrupt business owners. 
We are going to drive them out of business by raising minimum wage to $15 an hour, escalating their cost of doing business, raising their overhead costs, even if they cannot afford to pay that, even if the jobs required of the uh, the workers are not worth $15 an hour because they're just menial labor or they are just completely, you know, something that you could almost train a, a, a you know, a, a dog to do, then why would they want why would a business owner want to stay in business if they're only going to see their profit margin shrink to the point where they can't stay in business why would a business owner this is going to close businesses down i'm sorry i don't want to get in too off far into, uh, into the weeds on everything he says but here's more public colleges and universities tuition free colleges and universities tuition free do you, do you, do you do people listen to this this nut do, i mean between him and warren Everything that you could possibly want in life will be free. And all you have to do is turn over all your money to the government in order for them to give you this free stuff. Free college. No tuitions. Free college. Free educations. $15 an hour minimum wage, which we will then, by the way, tax and take about 12 of away from you. More. We're going to have a Green New Deal. And create up to $20 million saving the planet for our children and our grandchildren. We are going to take on the greed and corruption of the pharmaceutical industry. The Green New Deal cost $90 trillion. $90 trillion and would destroy interstate and international commerce. Because we would not be able to travel or move or transport goods from one place to another, if we are forced to use horses and buggies. Because there ain't no tractor trailers running on uh, 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 electric, uh, electric battery cars. And oh, by the way, or electric batteries, rather. These trucks are not going to be running on electric car batteries, is what I'm trying to say. Sorry. but and, And by the way, even if they were, are these people ever going to acknowledge what science... And geologists and others have said about the production of these these uh, uh, fuel cell uh, batteries, these electric car batteries or electric truck batteries, if you will, uh, the, what it takes to make them, what it takes to build them, how it ta- what it takes to produce them, the mi- the carbon footprint laid by mining for the ingredients in these batteries, the uh, the the uh, materials needed, including cobalt and other things. And then the assembly in coal-fired power plants of these things just completely defeats anything and everything they're talking about. So, uh, anyway, Bernie Sanders doesn't deserve that much of our time. But his insanity, and I'll play some of uh, Warren's insanity and some of Biden's insanity as we go this morning as well, does need to be pointed out. Because these are the people that are going to try to take the presidency from a man who has embraced capitalism, who has embraced the Constitution, a man that has embraced what this country was founded upon to great levels of success we have not seen in decades in the United States of America. We need to point all of this out. All right, 920, if you want to get in, 216-901-0945 after this. Twenty-four. We continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Good Wednesday to you. Thanks for being with us. 
coming up, uh, Associate Professor of Journalism and Media from uh, at uh, Tri-C, John Kersey, is going to be joining us to talk about disinformation propaganda as it pertains to Iran and uh, the American media, quite frankly. I want to go back to the debate last night, though. I just gave you a little bit of Bernie Sanders promising free this, free that, and free everything. And all it's going to cost you is, well, uh, all of your money. Just uh, <laughs> It's free, except you've got to pay for it. It's just that instead of paying for it directly, you're going to pay the government, and then we will allocate it and portion it out to you as we see fit. Quite frankly, that is his democratic socialism. But let's focus on the other socialist on the stage last night, Quite frankly, all of them are to some level or another. Only some of them admitted more than others. And Sanders and Warren are the two that are at the top of that chain. Uh, Elizabeth Warren talking about universal child care in addition to free college for everyone. Senator Warren, your education plan includes tuition-free public college for all, but you impose an income limit for free child care. Why do your plans cover everyone for public college? but not child care and early learning. No, actually, my plan is universal child care for everyone. It just has some people adding a small payment. But <laughs> some, some people adding a small payment. Let me translate that for you. All people adding massive tax increases, huge payments to the government so that we can cover the early child care needs on a universal basis of every kid in America. In other words, the financial responsibility to the actual parents as they plan their families will be lifted. We have got them all covered through universal child care. And then, by the way, when they get out of high school, universal free public college. Once again, does anybody who is considering voting for a demon rat in the upcoming election even bother to stop and listen to these plans and proposals? Is anybody even paying attention? The insane, incalculable amount of money that it would cost to pay for everyone to have all of these things, quote-unquote, free, uh, is, is just astounding. And moreover, while we're on the subject of free college for everyone, why would we possibly want to build a system where all of our money is taxed and taken away from us so that we can send a bunch of kids who have no earthly interest in higher education to college for free to go get drunk and skip classes and party for a couple of years before they have to go find real work? What I mean by that is not everyone actually wants to go to college. But if you tell them they can for free, they sure as heck are going to do it. Not every kid is cut out for college. This might be shocking to liberals who think that everybody is exactly equal and the same, but some kids aren't college material. Some kids can't handle college-level work. Heck, some of them can't handle high school-level work. Some of them go right into the workforce, into the blue-collar labor force, because they don't need higher education to do the work that they're best suited for. And that's not an insult to anybody's work. That's just a fact. Why would we try to raise enough money through American taxes to send everybody to college for free when a massive number of, of 18-year-olds every single year have either A, no interest, or, nor, or B, uh, no uh, competence to go to college, no ability to handle college. 
Anyway, a little bit more from Elizabeth Warren now about uh, her free everything for everyone, and all that's going to cost you is everything you make. The way I think we need to do this is we need a wealth tax in America. Uh-huh. We need to ask people with fortunes above $50 million to pay more. And that means that the lowliest millionaire that I would tax under this wealth tax would be paying about $19 million in the first year in taxes. If he wants to send his kid to public university, then I'm okay with that. Because what we really need to talk about... By, by the way, you, you, an, an, a euphemism for wealth tax, maybe a more accurate description of wealth tax, would be called an achievement tax. Why strive to grow your business? Why strive to grow your company? Why strive to expand your operation in order to put more people to work to grow the economy, to expand revenues, grow revenues and profits, if the government is only going to turn around and take all or most of that away from you. What would be the advantage of that? What would be the advantage? It's called an achievement tax. Don't bother trying to achieve and to succeed at very high levels or we will chop you down. That is the exact opposite of what this country was built upon. Capitalism capitalism encourages growth and expansion and hiring and more revenues and thus more taxes going into the system to provide for the necessities that government is supposed to provide. She and they want the exact opposite of that. It's the bigger economic picture here. We need to be willing to put a wealth tax in place, to ask those giant corporations that are not paying to pay, because that's how we build an economy. And for those who want to talk about it, bring down the national debt. Guess what, Liz? No nation that has ever instituted wealth taxes has ever grown their economies. You understand what I'm saying to you? Everything you think you know, Hiawatha, I'm sorry, that was insensitive. Liawatha, everything you think you know is wrong. It has been proven time and time and time again. And I realize you're trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator of voters, ignorant Democrats who might be watching your your debate. But for the rest of us, well, you're in trouble, sweetheart. 9.30, we're going to talk media. We're going to talk about propaganda. We're going to talk about disinformation. Why President Trump calls the American media the enemy of the people. All of this is interconnected. We'll talk to Professor Kersey next right here on AM 1420. Appreciate you being with us. Big night last night with a rally in Wisconsin, with a debate with the Democrats on CNN. We want to uh, talk a little bit about the latter, uh, I think, uh, with this conversation. Because what I heard last night from the Democrats on that stage was a whole lot of propaganda. And what I have heard from Democrats since we killed General Soleimani, uh, the terrorist leader uh, from Iran, while he was in Iraq, by the way, was a whole bunch of propaganda. And the only question really is, are the Iranians parroting the Democrats here in the United States talking points, or are the Democrats here parroting the Iranian talking points? But propaganda has been a big issue 
since that. Now, it's been a big issue for a lot longer than that, but it's certainly something that is at the forefront right now. And to discuss it now is our friend, Doctor or uh, Professor, rather, John Kersey. Professor Kersey is an Associate Professor of Media and Journalism Studies at Tri-C. He's also a speech and debate coach at Revere High School, and he uh, is an expert on these matters of propaganda and disinformation. Uh, Professor, good morning, sir. How are you? Great, Bob. How are you this morning? I am fantastic. Appreciate you coming on with us. Really, really interesting piece that you wrote on your blog about disinformation. And uh, I want to dig into this a little bit more deeply. Um, Tell me this, Professor, to start, because I I think a lot of us have erroneously, myself included, uh, kind of used those terms uh, uh, you know, as synonyms for one another, disinformation and propaganda being kind of the same thing. But as you point out in your article, they're not. Tell us the difference between dif- disinformation and propaganda campaigns. Propaganda has a political connotation, and it's often connected to information that is produced by the government. Uh, Bob, my mind goes to another Bob, you will remember, a guy named Baghdad Bob, who was the Minister <laughs> sure of do. Information guy at Baghdad. And right up until the day before uh, Baghdad fell in the uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, he was on TV every night talking about how great the Iraqi uh, military was turning back the American forces. That's a great example of propaganda. Uh, let me give you another good example, which most Americans won't know. Uh, we could go yesterday. Uh, MSNBC reported that uh, Iran's ministry said that 30 Americans had been killed in missile attacks against an Iraqi airbase. On TV in Iran the next morning, that number changed from 30 until 80. 80 American soldiers had been died. And what was the actual number again, Bob? It was zero. Zero, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's an example of propaganda where people are basically just, you know, again, primarily governments. We think of Nazi Germany and, and Goebbels and things like that, but it's primarily that type of thing, uh, information that people uh, generally don't believe, and it could be uh, publicity, it could be advertising, it could be just straight news uh, in, in countries where the, 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 the government owns the news media or some combination thereof, but that's propaganda. Well, the, the um, what's interesting is I would like to say that Iran has become very good, and you, you in fact, call them adept at both propaganda in India. I don't know if they are, though, because they're so easily disproven. Their propaganda is so easily proven to be just that. Maybe they're very bad at propaganda, but you describe the, uh, the nation, the Islamic Republic of Iran, as being both adept at propaganda and disinformation. Both of them come from the government, at least in this case, anyway. So tell me what, that, what you mean by disinformation campaign, then. Right. Disinformation is manufactured info that is deliberately created or disseminated with an intent to cause harm or cause dissension. Um, Let me give you a statistic, if you don't mind, and then I'll give you a quick example. Because when I give people the statistic, they're just, gee, I didn't know that. Uh, 470, that's the number of Facebook social media accounts that the Mueller report had identified that came out of this entity called the Internet Research Agency from Russia that was active around the time of the 2016 presidential campaign. So that number was 470. Now I'm going to give you another number, 750. That is the number of Iranian Facebook and Instagram accounts that Facebook security has taken down, taken off the Internet over the last year and a half because of malicious intent, trying to spread um, created, manufactured information. And again, those are the ones that, that Facebook found out. There, there, there's still a lot more out there. Uh, the reason why I think this is important is when you see what's obviously an Iranian effort through social media to disinform people, and again, Bob, I'm going to use some... I'll call it qualifying words here, right? It seems 
It appears that some of the main messages that Iran is putting out in this disinformation campaign aligns pretty closely with some of the messages that we're seeing in the presidential campaign with respect to General Soleimani and what, what, what his stature and reputation was. Well, that's uh, that's exactly the point that I, I was uh, making uh, on Monday when I was talking to Congressman Jim Jordan. I said, you know, it's amazing to to believe this, but uh, you know, the the Democrat Party, in particular, a lot of these candidates for president who are slamming President Trump, are parroting Iranian talking points, Iranian disinformation, uh, or propaganda. Again, depending on which you, which you you want to call it, and and Congressman Jordan said to me, maybe it may be the other way around. The Iranians are taking the lead from Democrats because that is more damaging to President Trump and to the United States and it's our, you know, our very, very strong, uh, military response, et cetera, et cetera, to their aggressive provocations. But saying essentially that the Iranians might be taking cues from the Democrats here and spouting, uh, uh, the same thing that they are. Either way, it's a very dangerous thing. So how do the American people, how can the American people figure out what to believe and what not? Well, the first step is, I think, the American people have to have a skeptical view about everything that's on social media. But if you don't mind, I do want to kind of elaborate on that last point that you made. And I'm going to use one social media platform called Twitter as my example. Mm -hmm. And if anybody's listening, they could Google these words, how journalists use Twitter. And when they see the results, they'll see where I'm going here. Uh, Different surveys show that as many of a quarter of journalists will use Twitter first as a source for news. In other words, what they see on their Twitter feed might influence what they think is important in terms of of news coverage or worthy of news coverage. So let me go back to that number 750 again. And and let's, let's be real here, okay? A lot of these Iranian people, they don't identify themselves as Iran. They're not, you know, they're not sending their messages in, in Persian or anything like that. They're disguising themselves, masquerading as Americans or American special interest fronts. And we'll talk about that in a minute if you don't mind. But what I'm trying to get to is, is it is it the Iranians that are doing this? Is it the journalists who are just seeing what's on their Twitter feed and then reporting accordingly? Or is it politicians that are doing both? Or is it some kind of mix between all three? I, I'm not disagreeing with Congressman Jordan, but I'm saying it might be even worse than, than, than yeah. what you described from an interview on Monday. No, well, but I think the point that he was just trying to make is that we cannot trust in some cases, the American media, any more than we can trust uh, the disinformation spreaders in foreign countries, whether it be Russia or Iran or anywhere else. Um, well, and, and you, you kind of pointed that out a little bit uh, in yeah. your in your article, uh, where you talk about, uh, you know, for example, MSNBC reported on the uh, the night of the missile strikes, you know, the the thirty and then eighty and so on and so forth. Same thing when it comes to the Ukrainian flight that was down. Um, American mil- American media sources just reported what Iran was saying without qualification, saying uh, that, that that it was a technical malfunction and not it, it was not shut down by the Iranian government or Iranian military. Bob, it's, it surprised me. It was exactly a week ago. I was driving to campus here at Cahaga Community College and listening to the NPR report. And I almost pulled over to the side of the road and, and counted, but I was able to go back and get the transcript. They cited four different Iranian sources, all basically saying the same thing. This is happening within five or six hours after that plane had crashed. And obviously, there was no way at all to verify any of this. And here's my big problem, and I guess, I'm just guessing very few of the answers listeners are going to know this, right? Iran suspended Internet access in its entire country two months ago, eight weeks ago, November the 19th. You, you can't access the Internet if you live in Iran. 143 journalists have been killed in Iran over the last nearly 30 years. 
And Iran is extremely repressive against journalists. They put a guy in jail in December because he used the word murdered instead of martyred in a story that he wrote. Wow. Well, I shouldn't say wow. That, that's, that's kind of what we expect. That's kind of what we have known that Iran... And, and, but, Bob, I think this was in your piece. How, much, how much of any of this do we, do we see in the media in the United States? Almost none of this is reported. And in a time of crisis or conflict, in, in terms of context... It is very important, I believe, that the American public understand how Iran treats journalists, how Iran has a complete and total disrespect for objectivity and truth. You know, we all have this kind of confirmation bias in our heads. Oh, we think the rest of the world operates the way that the United States does. We think that mm-hmm. journalism in Iran is, is relatively, you know, free and that reporters there. You know, the anchor there quit on Saturday when he realized how many, how many lies he'd been saying about different things recently. He just up and up quit. Uh, he said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, but my, my point is, I believe it is the responsibility of the American media to be more responsible. And to make the general public aware, if you're using Iran as a source, they're liars. <laughs> they employ propaganda techniques. They employ disinformation techniques. They're deliberately trying to disinform the American public. You cited Freedom House in your article about Iran being one of the least free nations on Earth. Now, that's not just media, not just journalism, although you did point out uh, they've killed 143 journalists and 24 foreign journalists uh, reporting there since 1992, uh, but just one of the least free nations on Earth. So, in other words, of course they'll kill or lock up journalists. They'll kill and lock up regular citizens uh, for just being dissidents if they start to criticize the regime. We saw what they did to the protesters two months ago when they, and you, you brought up of course they shut down the internet 95 percent of the internet was shut down so that they could not coordinate and collaborate they also killed people and arrested people so uh and if we want to transfer this to well i I want to real quick and then you can follow up on that transfer this to other countries including uh russia uh which has been of course notorious for misinformation or disinformation or propaganda or both and also locking up uh, those who would not uh, those who would speak out against the state or against what the the state uh, uh messaging or narrative is going to be. Go ahead. Two months ago, when those protests occurred, you really saw a little of that in what I call the main media. Mm-hmm. And I will give the main media a little bit of credit, and I'll actually give CNN a teacher credit. It's, 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 it, it appears to me that at least they're reporting more accurately on all the protests that have been going on in Iran over the last few days. So let's give them a little bit of props for that, so to speak. Um, Russia's in a different category. Russia is, in my opinion, the major leagues of disinformation. And their whole objective is completely different. Their objective is to pit us against each other. Nothing makes uh, Vladimir Putin happier than what's going on in, in the halls of Congress today. Anything that makes the United States more divisive, that creates more uh, separate feelings of one group against another, blacks, whites, Muslims, um, men, women, uh, gay, lesbians, any kind of delineation you can think of, Bob, anything that they can do to drive a further wedge between one group and another is the objective of Russia disinformation campaigns. We are talking with uh, Tri-C Professor of Media and Journalism, John Kersey. Uh, professor, we, the words fake news uh, have become popularized under President Trump. In fact, I think he may have coined them, talking about uh, the, the, you know, the fake news and uh, the misrepresentation of stories and facts, etc., in the, the New York Times, Washington Post, and then, of course, on the TV stations that we always talk about, CNN, MSNBC, and so on. How can... A moderate or a nonpartisan American citizen slash voter who is trying to figure all of this stuff out, how can they spot fake news? How can they tell whether or not something is trustworthy or not? 
Bob, I'm going to give three steps and also cite a couple of websites so people might want to take a note or listen or make sure they're recording. Um, first off, President Trump, in my opinion, appears to be quite accurate when he, he, he calls out fake news. I don't think he created those words. They've been around for a long time. I make a presentation to people and I read a statement about an upcoming impeachment and ask people if it's true or not and kind of give them 30 seconds to think about it. And then I would point out that what I read word for word came from a Chicago newspaper in 1863 and the subject of the article was Abraham Lincoln. Uh, so fake, fake news has been around for, for quite some time. Uh, I think what's happened is technology has made both fake news and disinformation much easier to accomplish. So everybody sees a picture on, on the Internet, on their social media feed, and they might think, gee, is this picture accurate? There are websites you can go to. One's called tineye.com, and you can simply simply do a copy and paste. You can take that picture, copy it, put it in the tin eye, and you get a printout of every single place on the Internet that picture has, has, has shown up and in what context it's been used. Uh, Google has something similar called the reverse image search, where you can take any image that you see on a social media or a news blog site or anything like that and copy it and paste it, and you instantly see where it's been used before in what context it's been used before. Uh, there is a, another website that it's a little bit harder to get to because it's, it's, it's got ads. Of course, you can pay and get rid of the ads. It's called Media Bias Fact Check. Altogether, MediaBiasFactCheck.com. And you can basically investigate the veracity of virtually anything you want uh, just by typing in the subject and seeing what's popped up there. But my question now, would be, Professor, who runs that? Who runs well, that website? That, because I think of Snopes. And, you know, Snopes is, is, is supposed to be something similar to that, but they are extraordinarily left-wing, and they have been, uh, they have been busted uh, changing facts and changing very variations of, of stories that they are supposedly fact-checking to fit their, you know, their own agenda. Bob, I wouldn't give out those sites unless I felt with a third degree of confidence they're, they're, they're more objective than Snopes. Okay. Okay, right. but but let me let me add that because there are some specific steps that you and I can do to 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 be on on, on guard against fake news, and I think it's important that we kind of talk about those. Uh, the big thing I think is that none of us want to be what I would call an unwitting actor, where we see something that's inauthentic, it's fake, and then we pass it on. You know, that's what I think we have to do. So some specific steps. And by the way, if you go to my blog or if you uh, find me at Tri-C, I could gladly email this this picture I have to you, but. If you see a story, look for the URL and just ask yourself, is this a legitimate website? Is this a legitimate spot? If it's sponsored, like an advertised content, then I'm automatically a little bit more leery. Uh, if they put links in it, I always check the links and see if the links actually go to reputable sources. So look at the facts, look at the links. I always consider the source. If um, I saw a blog site called Jimmy Rules the Universe, I probably wouldn't pay a bunch of attention to it. Uh, you can search the topic yourself and see what other stories you see on it. And then always watch for bias. And, and what I like to tell everybody is we all have bias. Everybody who sees the world is going to see it a little bit differently than somebody else. No question. There are charts and maps out there that kind of you know explain media biases and kind of tell you, hey, this media outlet leans left, this media outlet leans right, this one's really left, this one's really right. In fact, I'll make a pitch. We have somebody who developed one of those charts coming and speaking at our campus on February the 6th. So if you're really interested in media bias, you, you could kind of check all that out as well. But in the United States in 2020, it is up to us as users of the media to take responsibility for trying to ascertain what's real and what's not. Professor John Kersey of Tri-C. Uh, what's your blog site, Professor? DICampaigns.com. DICampaigns.com. We'll get you there. 
That's what I wanted to send people to uh, when we're done. Uh, Professor John Kersey of Tri-C, thank you so much for the very valuable information. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Bob. Professor Kersey joining us. It's 952. We'll get a quick timeout back after this. AM 1420, The Answer. segment of hour number one here. We'll squeeze a call or two in here. Coming up after the top of the hour, what kind of a role will race really play in the 2020 election? We're going to talk about race in America. We're going to talk about the presumption of white privilege that uh, is on display every time Democrats get together and talk about this, including on the debate stage last night. Lloyd Marcus, the unhyphenated American, will be joining us to talk about that. Uh, next. Right now, though, let's go to TJ, who is uh, waiting in Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, TJ. What's up? Hi, Bob. You know, Bob, a little bit of a hypocrisy with the media and these plastic bags. You know, the day after Thanksgiving, it's the biggest plane dealer of the year. You know, they got all their advertising. Yeah. They dump one of their logs in front of every single home in the neighborhood. I mean, everyone. Abandoned homes, homes for sale. For days, there was nothing but... Uh, these uh, papers laying on tree lawns in the street, on sidewalks, all of them wrapped in dreaded plastic bags. Uh, you know, when I called them to say if they're going to pick up their litter, they kind of told me to go pound salt. <laughs> I mean, now, they they probably did this in every neighborhood. Just dropped, like I said, they everywhere, every single home. And like I said, for days, almost weeks, the papers uh, rolled in these plastic bags laying on tree lawns, laying across sewer covers and stuff. How do they get away with this crap? You know, they're against the plastic bag. They litter our neighborhood with them. They don't get charged. You and I litter. We're going hit, to get hit with a $500 fine, and, and they get away with this crap. And then we got to read articles about how they want to save the planet and eliminate plastic bags when they just littered the entire city with their plastic bags well, and their, don't and ever their accuse, Don't ever try to accuse the plain dealer of being uh, consistent. Uh, the only thing they're good at is is lying and being hypocritical. So this is an example of their hypocrisy. Don't you know? And you're right. Those are single-use plastic bags that are uh, going to be just fine, but if anybody wants to get them at their grocery store, no. And by the way, the insanity of that, I, I don't mean to hijack your call, but the insanity of that also needs to be pointed out this way because I had some people posting on it about Facebook also, in Cuyahoga County, where you're not allowed to get plastic bags anymore <clears throat> from the uh, grocery stores, uh, people use those to line their small garbage cans in their houses, in addition to using them to pick up after their pets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What are people doing without those bags they're getting to use a second or third time from the grocery store? They have to go to the store, buy single-use plastic bags that are used just one time and then thrown into the garbage. It is a self-defeating policy. It was a, it was a solution in search of a problem by the ridiculous Democrats on the Cuyahoga County Council. They refused to listen to any common sense by the Republicans on that council, and that's why we are where we are. Now, TJ, I am going to hijack your call by saying I'm surprised you're calling me now instead of after the conversation I'm having in uh, uh, at uh, 1035. You are familiar, I would assume, being a Vietnam veteran and somebody who talks about it a lot, uh, with uh, William uh, Pitsenberger. Pitsenberger? Uh, no, I'm not. 
You're going to like the conversation then, my friend. I've got uh, the director and the writer of a new movie called The Last Full Measure. It's the story of a Vietnam War hero who saved over 60 men. His name is William Pitsenbarger. Nobody really knows this story and is talking about it, and uh, it should be told, and the movie is going to tell the story, and we've got a great conversation with the director coming up after uh, the, uh, at about 10.35. So make sure you tune into that, and I'm sure you'll call me after on tomorrow's show to discuss it. It's right up your alley, my friend. Thanks for the call, TJ. It's 10 o'clock, news time now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.